I'm The Animist, and you are listening to the Video and Company Podcast, a podcast where we talk about running a video production business. Today, we have Mac Garrison from Dash Studio, which is an animation studio based in Raleigh, North Carolina. In this episode, we talk about how animation is booming in the commercial world, client relationships, and how important pre-production is for animation. Just give a little background, introduce yourself, high-level who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure, no problem. So uh, my name's Matt Garrison. I'm one of the co-founders and executive producers at Dash. We're a high-end animation and motion design studio located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you know, We started Dash back in 2015 because we believe in the power of creativity and motion, de- motion design that matters. Um, you know, As we looked across the landscape, you know, we just recognized where the world was going with just so much content. And we just felt like the best way to separate yourself from the crowd and separate your brand or service from the crowd um, is to do so by investing in sort of high-end work. So what we offer is a very boutique and bespoke experience with our clients where less is more. And so we really try to get to understand our clients' needs, the problem they have at hand in a very symbiotic back-and-forth relationship uh, to deliver the best video possible that's not cookie-cutter but really catered towards their needs. Okay. Like, so what are some of the big projects that you guys have been like really proud about, um, whether it was like on a creative level, a technical level, or just on a business level because of the size of the client? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the ones that we're definitely most proud of, if anyone goes to our website, is a piece we did for Riot Games. And the reason I select that one is one that I'm incredibly proud of was just a mixture of how fast it came together and how much quality the work had. You know, And so just this idea of a small studio being able to pull off something of so much magnitude was pretty impressive on my end. Basically, we were working on this project um, with Riot Games who... Um, you know, produces League of Legend for anyone who's into the gaming world. You know, it's really into that. Uh, for me, it was really interesting. I'm actually not the biggest gamer, so I had a lot to learn on that as far as just some of the terminology and things of that matter. But the reason it was so fun is, you know, Riot, they just have a very prolific brand and they really want to push the creative and really leaned on us as sort of creative professionals, which is always really nice. I think sometimes you find yourself on projects where, um, you know, the client has a lot of ideas for what they want it to be. But I think some of the better clients out there, the ones that truly understand that, you know, you understand the creative the best, they understand their brand the best. And so how you kind of find that working relationship to get the best final product you can is always really interesting. And so Riot did that. They really looked at Dash and they said, you know, what's your solve? We have three weeks to create this opening promo for our collegiate championships. I believe this was like 2018, 2019. And, you know, what can we do in that period of time? And so you know, basically lean on sort of previous projects we have done and sort of learning on some of the process that we have done to work really quickly. We basically pulled together a team of about like 13 to 15 creatives, including our internal staff, uh, to really over the course of that three or four week timeline, you know, put a myriad of different options in front of the client, really hone in on that, and then really execute on something that's really high level. And I take a lot of pride in that piece just because of how high quality it was in such a short period of time. And, you know, I think one of my favorite aspects of this industry is really the people and the variety of creatives that are in it. And we really got to work with a lot of different folks who were really good with the illustration side, who were really good with sort of the cell and 2D animation, and then folks who were really good at 3D. So as far as projects that like stick out to me, you know, it's definitely Riot because of like the creative quality, but also how quickly it all came together and our working relationship with their team. That's awesome. So um, when, when you're going for bigger projects like that, so would you say that a lot of the um, imagery 
was maybe something that the team had wanted to do, but they like hadn't had the chance to do it, so they didn't have it in the portfolio. And if a client like approaches you and wants something big like that, was there any kind of process to help them choose you or or help you know you pitch a bigger idea to them? Yeah, I think those are both good questions. So I think the first is that the reason it was so appealing is you kind of alluded to it was that like we didn't really have a ton of it that type of work on our portfolio. You know, Riot had a pretty wild and gregarious and outgoing brand. Um, and a lot of the work that we were doing at the time just tended to be more on the corporate side, just based on, you know, the fact that a lot of what we do here in the area tends to be revolving around IT. And so you get a lot of these IT explainer videos. And so even though you may have the capabilities to pull something like that off, you know, you're right, it is kind of hard to show that you can do it when you don't have that stuff in your portfolio. So um, the reason the staff was excited was because of that. It was something very different. And we got to really flex some creative that we hadn't really experimented a lot with. And that's always really exciting. I think as any creative out there, you're always trying to push what is capable and what you can do, not just doing the same old stuff um, all the time. And then from the Riot perspective and like how we ended up selling them on us, you know, I think a lot of it in full transparency comes down to connections and knowing the right people. That's something that kind of blew my mind when I like was first kind of coming into the industry, you know, I was always under the assumption that if you did really great work, you know, you were going to stand out from the crowd. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, a lot of those opportunities come from just having someone to get your foot in the door or having someone that knows someone. And so, you know, we've been fostering a lot of those connections over the last five years. And one of them ended up being able to get us into the door to at least have that conversation with the Riot team. Now, at that point, you know, we still had to have the great work to sell them on why they should work with us. And I think one of the big differentiators for Dash is that, you know, in a weird way, because we were smaller, it was almost more advantageous for the brand to come work with us because they got that more of an intimate experience. You know, we found that over the years, you know, I was always under this mirage that we need to have a bigger studio. We need to be so big. We need to present ourselves as being huge to be able to land this work, right? Uh, when actuality you know, a lot of these clients really appreciate the fact that we're small, that we're a little bit more nimble, the fact that they get to work with my business partner, Corey Livengood, and myself, you know, that we're involved on the day-to-day. It's not like we're passing this off to another project manager. I mean, we are in the project. And so one of the big selling points for Dash and what we advocate with our clients, particularly on some of these bigger projects, is just that. Like, you're coming to us because you want that boutique experience, you want that bespoke work, and more importantly, you're going to get that because you're working directly with us. And so, you know, our personality comes out a lot in the work that we do, you know, we're gregarious, uh, we're opportunistic, we uh, are optimists, you know, so we don't have a really negative attitude. We always look at things in a positive light. And I think having some of those core values that the whole studio can kind of lean into and then sell yourself on, um, that's ultimately how we end up getting in with the riot. So kind of a recap, it's like, you know, connections are important and as well as just having that sort of positive attitude because people are buying into you as well. So that's ultimately, I think, what Riot bought into. But then also having that creative expertise and then taking on projects that the staff was really interested in. I think that's why they were so excited about it. It's just for that uniqueness of it. Yeah. And speaking about your team, um, I've been curious about this as well. So technically, this is still the agency season of the show. And the last episode, we talked to um, a MoGraph, that lead a MoGraph at an agency, but we didn't get to talk to the founder of a... It, it was just like a general commercial agency. And so now we have the co-founder of an actual motion design um, animation 2D, 3D company. So like you probably have a bigger perspective on some of these things. Um, And I was just curious, you know, there's some guys and girls that um, they're like 
whether it's 2D or 3D, some of them are really good at like character animation and others are amazing at kinetic typography and then some are kill it with like lighting but couldn't you know do a UV texture map to save their life. Um, how does your team kind of balance everybody's skill sets where it's like maybe there's a project that, um, let's say it's a 3D project. If there's some people that are really good at aesthetics, some people are really good at like the motion of things and then some people are really good at like the pre-production of texturing and, and all those other things. Is, how, how does that work um, in your agency? Yeah, so I think like, you know, it's a really great question. I think I'm going to take a step back first to answer that question a little bit. So, you know, one of the big differences between working at like an agency, which I would describe as being somewhere between like 50 and 150 people, and then working at a studio, which is more like anywhere from 10 to 30 people, um, is going to come down to a little bit on like specialist versus a generalist. Um, now, I'm sure that are some people that are listening to this and they might disagree with me and that's fine because I think it's a really hot topic of conversation in the industry right now on whether you should be a generalist or you should be a specialist. And I think the question comes down to, you know, what are you looking for in your creative career? What do you want to do for a living? I think if you're the type of person who's really good at one specific thing, then finding your niche and working at a bigger agency makes a lot of sense because that agency is going to bring you in to do that one specific thing. They want you to come in and they want you to be the best damn 3D animator out there. Maybe you're really good at hyper-realistic stuff and that's what you do every day. Or maybe you're a fantastic character animator and so they're always putting you on character animations every day. When you work at a studio, something that's a little bit smaller like our team you know, that has uh, nine full-time staff, you know, we need someone that's more of a generalist. Like it's important that everyone is good at something, right? And of course, everyone's gonna have their specific trait that they're better at than others. But we really ask a lot of our staff, we ask them to be able to hop around and be nimble. So we bring in people who are really great 2D animators, but they can also dabble in uh, character animation. Or we bring in people who can do 2D and then they do 3D. Or we have illustration and design. You know, We basically ask them to be a little bit more nimble so they can hop around on the myriad of projects that we have going on. And so for us at Dash, you know, we really, whenever we take on projects, you know, when I'm the creative director on it, I'll take a look at, you know, the needs for the project and I'll look at sort of the skill set of our staff and I'll basically start to measure, you know, who would be the best fit for each particular section of that project and kind of move them around. Now that person on another project, they might do style frames, but on this one they're doing animation because their skill set is best suited for that. So I kind of like a puzzle piece or kind of piecing things together with our staff. And then when I find that we have a whole and there's someone that can't cover a certain um, tech, technology or approach, that's when we really reach out to freelancers and bring in someone that's a very specific find to help fill that void that we have. And so to kind of round that back out, you know, as far as like how do we choose who gets what role, I think really it's like most of the time if you're working in a smaller studio, you're going to have people who are good at a myriad of different things that are more generalist. If you're working at an agency, you're going to have people that are more specialist just because they have more people that they can fill in. And then I think, you know, even rounding that out even more, I think from a freelancer standpoint, you know, my personal belief is that if you're a freelancer, I think being a specialist at one thing actually makes a lot of sense because those are the people that I'm looking for to fill a particular void, if that answers your question. Yeah, actually a lot better than I thought. Um, it's funny because in the film world, um, I feel like there's a similar, I don't know if controversy is the wrong word, but, you know, conflict of ideology um, with what you just said, but I think it totally matches and works out because when I started out as a freelancer um, in the film and in animation, um, 
I was a generalist and tried to do as much as I could or know as much as I could, and it worked out in the end. Um, and the closer I kept getting to like these dudes that were like on a higher level, they would like behind closed doors be like, "Don't be a jack of all trades, and if you are, don't tell people." And 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 it was because they were going into like agency status and stuff like that. So it's a really good point that you um, every, everything you just said kind of like was the essence of what I've always thought, but never been able to explain. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like one of the things, it's tough, I think, for anyone that's like coming out of school or, you know, we have a, a mentorship program going on where we'll talk to kids who are coming out of college. And, you know, one of the questions or feedback I always provide on, on their portfolios is trying to suss out, you know, what it is you really want to do because folks are ultimately going to hire you based on what your portfolio reflects. And so, you know, we'd have kids who want to get into animation and they're putting up graphic design, illustration, and they're putting up their photography stuff. And I know the reason is, is that they feel like they're really young. They don't have a lot of experience. They're trying to put up everything they do when in actuality, what you need to be doing is really catering your work towards a career that you want to have. So, I mean, if you want to be an editor, you know, your portfolio should consist of just editing content, even if you're a great photographer or, you know, illustrator, or if you want to be an animator, it's like, you know, put your focus there. And if you're also a good illustrator or designer, you know, how can you represent that work and portray it in a way that reflects that you were interested in a career in animation? And I think the same can be said for smaller studios and freelancers who are out there, you know, just perpetually making sure that your portfolio reflects the work that you want to do. And we do the same thing for ourselves. We're always constantly tinkering with um, what our website looks like and the work that we're showing on the front page. Uh, to show that for us, you know, we actually like the diversity. So we do a bunch of different things, whether it's character animation, 3D animation. We even do some like live action work here and there. And so we try to make sure that our portfolio reflects that. Where I know some other studios out there who are really good at just 3D or really good at just character work and their um, portfolios reflect that. So ultimately, it's just sort of what you're looking for in your career. And I think that can ultimately start to shape, you know, what you're trying to reflect on your portfolio to get at those jobs. Nice. Um, I, I do want to touch on a bit of like your, um, progress, but before that, I did want to see if, um, we would be able to answer a possible question. I've, I've tried to get this answered before, but I think it's so based on perspective that it, um, it's one of those things where it's like, you just get a lot of answers and kind of listen to all of them. There's not one that's right, but, um, some people, I, I can I can tell a lot of freelancers they just continue being freelancers forever, and they might actually get good at the business side, um, and they might even grow and and be hiring some people, but they continue to see themselves as freelancers, and I feel like the um, the, the the line is really blurred between when you you're a freelancer and when it becomes your business or you're a studio at that point, and it's just the verbiage that you're using that may change perspective. Um, what do you, what do you feel about the people that like are freelance animating, um, and they're getting a huge client list and they've got consistent work and they're hiring people on occasions and stuff like that. When, when does it really kind of, when does that line cross over where you're no longer just a freelancer? Like you, you have a business, you have an animating business. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, relatively flexible, but it's really the brand, you know, I think there is no definitive line because like you said, I know freelancers who hire out folks to bring in to accent the work that they're doing. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I notice between freelancers and someone who's running a studio is the level of entrepreneurship that they want to have. You know, that's ultimately what it is. If you're the type of person who really enjoys making stuff and you like being involved with the work, 
you know, you're the type of person that wants to be a freelancer for life because, you know, once you start to run a studio, you're really beginning to pivot yourself away from the actual design and production of things and really to running a business. And so one of the things I wish someone told me early on before I started Dash was saying like, hey, are you going to be okay with not actually doing the creative anymore? At the very early stages when it was just me and my business partner, we did everything. I mean, we were animating, we were editing, you know, we were doing all the production stuff. But as the work request kept coming in and we started to expand the team to be able to continue to take that on, you know, we found our roles dramatically shifting. You know, Corey started pivoting more towards having to direct some of the projects. I became pivoting to trying to run some of the projects, make sure we were turning them in on time. And while every now and then in the early days, I still got to work on stuff, those days became fewer and fewer. And in fact, I'm at a point now where the only time I really ever touch work is if, you know, there's like an emergency and we just need another set of hands. And so I think going back to that question about, you know, when do you become a studio? You know, in my mind, I think you are starting the right step in that direction of becoming a studio as soon as you start to hire people out, whether it's contractors or, you know, full-time people. As soon as you're bringing someone in to help accent the work, you're starting to go down the path of becoming a studio. As soon as you're just an individual person that is sort of, you know, a cog in a bigger machine, I think that's when you're sort of in the freelance world. So as soon as you start to take that step into bringing other folks into the fold, uh, that in my mind is when you're starting the steps to become a studio. I, I can appreciate that. It did, it did step me back a little bit, but I appreciate that. Um, so, so you were talking about like, you're not, you don't have too much hands on the creative as in like, you're not on the computer, you're not on the Wacom kind of doing too much. But when you were, um, what was, what was your like, Mo your go-to stuff what was your favorite like type of design type of style type of work yeah so when i so i studied at north carolina state university's college design program and you know really had a foundation in illustration design you know i really like graphic design uh ultimately didn't know i wanted to get into the motion world until i really kind of got out of school and had a couple of internships um at some in-house places that gave me the opportunity to kind of edit and also introduce some motion and that's when I really got into what I would really call just like motion graphics. I mean, most of the stuff that I was doing was essentially graphic design and motion. I love sort of the abstract shapes, I like typography, you know, mixed around color palettes. So my aesthetic was a very kind of snappy, energetic approach with what I did, you know, match cuts, things like that. And even to the point when we started the studio, I would say Dash for the most part was a motion graphic heavy studio. Corey, um, a business partner, was really into 3D. I definitely took the 2D side. Um, and that sort of was the foundation of what I was really into. And then, you know, as a studio, as you start to grow, you bring in other people who have different strengths. And so, you know, where Dash is heading and what Dash is ultimately going to become as far as our creative is really a result of the people that we bring in. You know, we were initially motion graphics because that's what Corey and I did. Then we started to bring in folks who were more illustration heavy. We started doing a lot of character work. And then recently we started doing more 3D work because not only has there been requests from it, but also our staff has become more interested in it. So it's really been kind of interesting to see just how our core value as a studio, our, our core creative has even shifted over the last five years. Yeah, and I would say 3D's gotten a lot easier with like kit bash and stuff like that where the resources are endless and um, the renderers just keep getting easier and now they're getting native and it's just, it's it's making it, it it's making it more accessible to just about everybody, just, just like the camera industry did 10 years ago. Oh, 100%. And like, it's a big pendulum too. you know, things kind of swing one way and then it swings back the other. Like, even in like the 90s, early 2000s, 3D was pretty popular at that point, you know, because everyone was just into computer graphics and like what was going on there. And then there was this kind of revolution on going back to the 2D stuff, you start seeing more of these character animations come out. And 
Tootie was just on fire for like a decade. And now I'm feeling that pendulum starting to swing back the other way. You know, you have renderers like Octane and Redshift that are making it easier than ever. You know, it just things are becoming, you know, I think easier for the average person to get their hands on too is what's also propelling that forward. You know, Cinema 4D or things like Blender, which are free, you know, it's just making it more accessible. And so I think that is also propelling it as far as pushing back in the 3D realm as well too. So I've noticed sometimes uh, clients will be like, we want this, um, let's say like a, a more, it's an animation for a mortgage company. And they use a lot of, you know, buzzwords and adjectives that explain that want, they want something big. They want something, you know, dynamic. And um, you pretty much give them what they were asking for. And it's, 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 you, it's big. It's, it's got a lot of energy. It's um, got, you know, elements that kind of give it the edge uh, against, you know, just the basic whatever kind of 2D type stuff. And then in um, revisions, they just dumb it down to by the time you get to the final product, it's just a basic After Effects slide. It almost feels like a PowerPoint presentation. Do you ever run into anything like that? And if you do, like, how do you handle stuff like that? Because I know it's always, the client's always right, but it's like, we started off with something really, really cool, and now we mm -hmm. just have a PowerPoint. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from a high level, I think it's also like picking your battles too. Um, so with stuff like that, it's sort of recognizing, you know, if it's been a hard slog and you've gone through a lot, you know, at the end, it's kind of hard to like really, you know, stand your ground on some of that stuff because it's easy to just be like, you know, we've had a million different changes on this. That's fine. We'll do it this way. Right. And so, you know, but I think it's also important that like you feel comfortable with your client relationship to be able to push back on some of those reasons. You know, at the end of the day, it's a difference between an art, artist and a designer. You know, artists make stuff that they really like. Designers are making something to make an end client happy, to solve a problem, right? And so even though you may be adamant that something should stay or that it looks better, at the end of the day, they're the client. And so, you know, I think, yes, advocate, feel comfortable standing up, push back. You should always feel comfortable pushing back. Uh, but at the end of the day, also recognize that sometimes, you know, the client's needs and wants uh, may not align with exactly what we want as a studio, but that doesn't mean it's not a successful project. It just means that it maybe wasn't as creative as we want it to be. But I think, you know, to the core of that question and like, what do we do and how do we mitigate that? You know, I think it really comes down to having a very strong and structured process with what you do. You know, we have a really great process that we apply to every project that we work on, whether it's one single video or 10 videos at a time. And we really feel that gives us an opportunity to kind of suss out and refine so that by the time we're getting into those later stages, you know, we don't feel like we're having to sacrifice too much because we've gotten those approvals early on in the process. You know, for us, it really comes to six key stages that we look at on every project we do. Uh, the first phase is discovery. You know, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of doing this? Who is this for? How will people be watching this video? You know, it's all the right questions that you wanna ask the client as to why they're choosing you to invest in this video. You know, you may find that they actually need a website and maybe a video isn't the right approach. And so while it may be crazy, you might wanna say no to that project because the client ultimately won't be happy with it. But the idea of the discovery phase is to find out the reason behind the video so that you can do everything in your power to design the creative to accent that. So once we get through discovery, the next phase is ideation. You know, what do we think is the best solve for this? You know, you mentioned that client, if they want something that's really big, robust and outgoing and kind of loud, you know, this is our opportunity to find previous examples that we've made, industry trends and things that we feel like would be evergreen and, you know, make sure they'll be around in the next few years. And we share those with the client to kind of say like, hey, this is our general direction. This is our general approach. So the idea being that if 
the client wants something a little bit more conservative and we were kind of liberal with the designs, we can kind of start to rein it in and find a new solution that still feels uh, creatively satisfying to us, but also helps solve their, their maybe more of a corporate look. So you have um, discovery, you have ideation. From there, you know, when we're, we're a turnkey operation, so we write most of the scripts for the projects we take on, but we jump into messaging. You know, so one of the other key components to everything you do is that you really have to have the right copy for what you're saying, whether that's on-screen text or the voiceover that goes along with it. Uh, we want to make sure that we're saying the right thing because we've, <laughs> through experience, have made projects that look phenomenal, but they're just not hitting the mark and they weren't successful projects because of that. So messaging really starts to lay the foundation for the house you're going to build. Once we get through that, then we start to get into our fourth stage, which is pre-production. And so that's definitely the most important part of our whole process, I think. And you know, pre-production as an umbrella term really can contain a lot of different things. You know, at a bare minimum, we're typically looking at style frames, you know, so still images that convey the overall look and feel of a project or storyboards that pair, you know, the script with rough visuals for the story. But we can also do things like motion comps if we feel like we want to do a motion test or pre-visualizations where we can start to, you know, suss out models and things like that. Uh, you can also do character sheets modeling. You can do uh, a myriad of different things, but ultimately, whatever you can do in this phase to kind of show the client where you're heading to kind of avoid those pitfalls later on where the client seems unhappy with the direction, uh, we do all that in pre-production. So then our fifth step is production. And so by the time we get here, you know, we've really made the map for our piece. So at this point, we've kind of connected all the dots and it's really starting to take everything we've created and put it in motion. Um, so at this point in time, we're adding original music and sound design. Uh, we're messing with the timing, we're connecting all the scenes. And so when we show it to the client at this point in time, usually it's minor feedback. You know, timing might be a little off or they want to linger on a scene maybe a little bit longer. But for the most part, we've been lucky to avoid any major uh, adjustments at this point. Not saying never, it definitely happens. And to your point, like, you know, sometimes you can do everything right and stuff still hits the fan. But um, once you get to production, we have final files where we're just essentially making various compressions depending on where this project will live. Is it going to be ultimately on broadcast? Is it going to be playing online? Or is it going to be playing an event? Um, but that whole process for us and what we look at for our projects is typically a 10-week process is what we sort of aim for from start to finish. And then, you know, of course, you have the clients that have the event that's in three or four weeks. So we can staff up and bring in bigger teams to handle it quicker. Or in some cases, you know, we find ourselves lucky with clients who don't have that big of a rush or they want more review times and we can push that out a little bit. But I think, you know, just as far as a takeaway into your question, like, you know, how do you start to mitigate those situations where the client's like unhappy with stuff or really like pulling things back? I think it's about being transparent throughout your process at every stage to try to make sure that they're feeling comfortable with it. And if they're not, what could be another creative solve that you can be excited about that may not be exactly what you wanted or intended initially, but you can kind of pit it within that process. So by the time you get to the final um, deliverable, you know, it doesn't feel like it's been too watered down. It feels like it's had a little bit of back and forth along the way. Yeah. And I'm, I've actually wanted to do um, a pre-production episode really bad. And I couldn't find anybody that like, that would, probably have any processes um i know they're out there you're there but um that like would come onto the show and like talk about the, the strenuous uh pre-production process um i was looking more in the film world but like that exact process that you've said is exactly what we do with our commercials um and it's like i i know i know personally i need to be doing that for my animation work um because it's always like you know, discovery, style frames, and then go straight into animation. And I think maybe having three steps instead of six might be where I'm missing those things. 
it really like it can feel cumbersome sometimes it's like you know why are we going through all these steps can we jump into it but it has been so successful in mitigating any serious revisions later on because it's so easy to like rework a storyboard or a style frame you know at the beginning of time when nothing's been added the motion to it or anything like that i mean i even if it's like hard feedback it's more digestible at that point in time than after you've done the full pass and you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to fix this with only like a week to go, you know? <laughs> and I mean, I was thinking this yesterday too. I was, I was working out a treatment for a country music video and I'm like, why am I doing this? And I like answered my own question like immediately. It was like my subconscious was like, you know why you're doing this. Um, I've noticed that if you take this kind of time to be, um, to, to, to be gentle and, and, direct and specific with the pre-production it's not only going to give you a better product but it's kind of like the best way to deal with customer service like your customers and your clients are going to understand it's like oh he's actually um he's actually working on this like actively it's not just one day out of the month that he's going to give to me he's he's working on this thoroughly i feel a lot better about putting my down payment now 100 percent. it's like you know you're basically most of the clientele that we work with may have had a little bit of experience in you know video at some point or did some graphic design at some point in their career but a lot of folks don't really know how animation comes to be so they're really looking at you as the subject matter expert and so you know it's just like a pilot who's flying a plane he's got a checklist to make sure he's got all these things covered so he doesn't crash the plane you know we're doing the same thing and it really feels like the client's involved early in the process and there's not these large swaths of time that go by without them having uh, a say or being able to pick or choose something and so you know i think sitting down and having a very clear process and it doesn't necessarily need to be our process but just a process but sitting the client down and kind of walking through, these are the expectations, and this is what I'm looking for from you, from feedback standpoint, and into these phases, I think it really just makes them feel more comfortable. And ultimately, I think it allows you to have bigger budgets because they're like, well, this person clearly knows what they're doing. They have a process for what you're doing. And so there's that trust factor versus just like, you know, um, you know, here are a couple of things, we'll turn in a piece here in a couple of weeks. You know, it's just, it's a little bit more of an unknown in that direction, I think. How, you, you know, you got out of school, um, you were into mo uh, graphic design and then you started to find yourself into motion design. Where is the gap between um, you freelancing, doing motion graphics and starting Dash or, or meeting your business partner? And how was that experience with like getting work, getting clients? And it, you know, it's, I love talking about the technical and the creative and stuff like that. But what most, a lot of people just kind of have it or they're like getting there and they just are no clue how to get started with clients, how to like get contracts, how to like get consistent work. Yeah, I think, you know, there is a book I read one time that I think did a really nice job in kind of summing it up, but like it was called The E-Myth, like why most small businesses failed. Um, I forget, I think Gerber was the last name of the person who wrote it. I can make sure to send you a link to it. But um, basically they talk about how every person is part technician, part manager, and part entrepreneur. And everyone has those three aspects, but each person has a little bit more of one than the other. And so, you know, you may be really good as a technician. You're really good at making the work. You're really good creative, but, you know, maybe you're not as great as organizing. But then you have a manager who's really good at organizing things and keeping things efficient and running smoothly. But maybe they struggle with getting in the new work to organize. And that's where you have the entrepreneur who's really good with connections and kind of sussing out new work and things of that nature. And so, you know, I think the best studios and best businesses out there 
sort of have a combination of those three traits with sort of their leadership on the studio side. So if it is just you and you're running your own studio, it's bringing in talent around you that has those other elements. So maybe you're the really great technician, but you need someone who's more of an entrepreneur and someone who's a manager to bring stuff in. Or maybe you're the entrepreneur and you're great to go get the work, but you need people to do it and keep it organized. And so I think you know, from a studio perspective, you know, trying to find people that sort of embody those three things. And so as that relates to me and how I kind of started Dash, um, I ended up at a local agency here in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was pretty big. They had about 100 to 150 people while I was there. And I came in as a junior animator. I was super green. This was after a couple of internships and I had no idea what I was doing. And it was perfect because they had so many talented people there and it was an incredibly demanding experience. Like I felt like it was like grad school almost. And so I had the opportunity to work on a lot of different projects, collaborate with different people, got to see their project files, and slowly I started to grow and learn and have more confidence in the work I was doing. So I started as a junior animator, worked my way up to mid-level, and then eventually found myself as an art director um, for this agency that was putting out work for the likes of you know IBM, Cisco's, Lenovo's of the world, some of these big tech companies. And one of the big things that I learned along the way was a little bit of those three aspects. You know, working in an agency, I got to see what the great technicians of the world are doing. Who are the people that are making the best work? How are they constructing their files? How are they building this stuff? I got to see that and got to practice that. I also got to see what good project management looked like. You know, we had a team of producers and project managers who were ensuring that everything was moving smoothly and getting to the client on time. What the expectations are with these really high level clients and how do you react when bad feedback comes in or they have a crazy request. I got to see that firsthand. And then from an entrepreneurship side, you know, once I got to the art director perspective, I started making more connections, you know, because I started realizing that this is a career that I wanted to be in. So I started getting involved in local communities like AIGA, American Institute of Graphic Arts, or AMA, American Marketing Association, um, started making connections, started talking with other people in the industry and getting to know folks. And so basically, without even really realizing it early on, I was sort of padding my expertise with you know the technician, the entrepreneurship, and the management side. Um, through that time, I ended up meeting my business partner who also worked at this agency, Corey Livengood. He was a senior animator there, and we just ultimately clicked. You know, where I was really kind of outgoing, and gregarious and sort of this big idea type person. Corey was a little bit more reserved, but had a very technical understanding of everything we did. And so we really balanced each other out a lot. And so our working relationship at this agency for four years developed into more than that, into a friendship. And so at the end of our time there, we found ourselves getting ultimately kind of frustrated. We both got into this world because we believe in the power of creativity. We wanted to make cool stuff. And we believe that if you really invest in making this stuff as cool as it can be, you know, the right clients are going to come find you for that. You know, it doesn't need to be how fast and how quick can you make it. And so we started looking around in the Raleigh area and recognized that there wasn't a whole lot of players involved in the animation space. And so in 2015, we ultimately decided, hey, you know what, maybe we can start our own ship with that mentality that we can, where more is less, you know, we can kind of be this boutique studio that folks could come to. And so it started with just the two of us back in October of 2015. And then we started getting more and more work requests, you know, some of those connections we had made over time, started to kick in. People started hearing about us and reaching out. And it was really this kind of snowball effect. So once we would do a couple of projects for folks, you know, they would talk about it, how great it was. People would ask who made this for you. And we started getting more and more referrals. 
And then fast forward five years later, you know, now we have that staff of nine people of creatives, but we also work with probably 20 to 25 contractors like on a regular basis. And so we really can be small and work on some of these smaller projects, but we can scale our creative by bringing in these team members to grow and handle what we need. And, you know, all that really came about because we really kind of developed the connections you know, we brought in good managers, you know, Corey was sort of the main technician, I was kind of the entrepreneur. And so we kind of had this really nice, uh, you know, blend, <laughs> a cooking pot of all these great essential aspects to have as a studio. So I think that kind of answered your question. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, so I've never heard of that book. And I just looked it up. Um, it's definitely something I want to look into. Because um, I feel like I have all three of those characteristic traits, some are better than others. Um, but do you think that's common or do you do you think um do you think it was the book trying to say that some people are just one of three some people are two or three and some people are all three and that can really say whether or not they might succeed or fail is that what that that was leading to well it basically talked about and i'll have to refresh my memory but when i go read it again but it basically from my memory and my recollection talked about how everyone has an aspect of those and some are just stronger than others you know, but I think like one of the things that is tough about starting a studio is that typically, typically the person who's starting a studio is a really great technician at whatever they do, right? So whether you're the plumber, you're a great plumber, or, you know, you do HVAC or you're an animator, I mean, what it is, you're really good at knowing this type of service. And that's the impetus for you saying like, you know, maybe I can do this on my own. And so I think the tricky part is like, you know, how do you make sure to stay organized so that as you add more weight to your studio and you start to grow that it doesn't fold? Or how do you manage to bring in new work with connections in the entrepreneurship side? You can't be so focused on the work itself that you're not going in and bringing in new work so that you can't scale. And so I think that's like the really tough part is that most people I feel like who start their studio are really great technicians and they're trying to have to learn those other aspects. And I think that's where it comes in with partnering up with the right people who kind of accent that or having some of your early hires be folks who can accent those things. Yeah, I th like I've never, I've never heard of that, but it makes so much sense. Um, is there any kind of new up and coming projects that um, you're really excited about that you're working on or that you're um, just got completed? Yeah, I mean, we're working on a lot of really cool things right now. Unfortunately, a lot of them is, are under NDA at the moment, which is always frustrating in the creative world. But at some point, I'll be able to share them. But one thing I can give a little bit of a plug for that I'd love your listeners to join us at is the Dash Bash, which is an animation and motion design festival happening in Raleigh, North Carolina. So this was actually supposed to coincide with our five-year anniversary uh, last October. But as a result of COVID, we had to kick things down the line. But it is actually currently uh, rescheduled now for September 23rd and 24th of 2021. Uh, it'll basically be a two-day festival and hopefully one that <laughs> happens in person where we can all kind of come out of the COVID bubbles and hang out and make some new friends, but really talk with some industry folks about you know, understanding animation, understanding live action video, motion design, as I would call it. But the idea is it's a really sort of uh, peer-based festival. Um, so folks who are in the industry can have the opportunity to meet some of uh, their favorite superstars and talk to other folks about, you know, the good, the bad, and uh, commiserate with one another. But yeah, it's going to be a two-day festival, uh, Thursday and Friday, um, September 23rd and 24th, 2021. So uh, that's www.bash.net. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. So thanks for listening. Be sure to check the notes for websites and Instagram handles to check out the guest. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at I am the Animist and YouTube at the Animist Official.